You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. Join us now for Bishop Sheen Presents, hosted by Al Smith. Friends, I'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents, a program where we feature some of the wit and the wisdom of the venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen captivated audiences on both radio and television. Millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. It is my prayer that these meditations presented today will truly touch your heart and show you that your life is worth living. Hello, my good friends, and welcome to another edition of Bishop Sheen Presents. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I'm very happy that you have joined me today to listen to a little bit of the wit and wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Over the last few weeks, I've been sharing with you some of Archbishop Sheen's talks during the Second World War. And we were talking together, I think, my friends and I, about, uh, you know, what I should, uh, of course, present next. And um, we had a few weeks there where we talked about uh, the Christian social order and um, the Christian order in education. And um, I think one of my favorite talks was, Is God Hard to Find? And that was last week. But again, Fulton Sheen was addressing... Uh, the uh, people of America uh, with, uh, I want to say, words of consolation. He was trying to uh, help them make sense of the war, make sense of what was happening, and to know that it is a war between God and anti-God. It's the war between the cross and those who reject the cross. And so uh, I thought, you know, after a few weeks of kind of talking about war, I thought I would switch it up a little bit and share some of Archbishop Sheen's talks on peace. And so the year was 1944, and uh, Fulton Sheen wrote a number of books that year. Uh, Two of them uh, that come to mind is the uh, classic book, Love One Another, And, of course, that was Fulton Sheen uh, showing how uh, Jews and Catholics can get along, how Protestants and Catholics can get along, that people of goodwill should get along. And, uh, again, it was uh, one of those best-selling books that um, I think uh, many people appreciated because we thought if we have these world wars, it's because... um, we're not getting along. It really is plain and simple. And so he um, put together a little booklet called Friends, and you'll hear him mention that in his talk. Uh, He always invites his listeners to write to the station and uh, to order uh, the book or booklets that uh, they had available. And so one of those booklets is called Friends, and it actually turned out to be uh, the book Love One Another. And also in 1944, Fulton Sheen wrote a book called The Seven Pillars of Peace. And so uh, he was trying to uh, educate uh, everyone to say there is a peace plan and it's got a few components to it, but I will uh, package uh, this 
set of talks together, uh, put it into a book, but spend a few weeks on the radio, um, you know, just making it understandable to you. And uh, so uh, these seven pillars of peace that Fulton Sheen writes about and now talks about, uh, one of the pillars is the pillar of goodwill. And we're going to share this wisdom with you this today, and uh, and I know you'll appreciate it. So, um, again, it's a Catholic Hour recording from 1944. And uh, we will then, of course, have a, a little bit of a break in between these talks, and um, I'll make a little bit of commentary because I've been writing on uh, Sheen's um, wisdom from the war years. Uh, I've been able to publish a few books with the help of Sophia Institute Press, and um, I will ask your prayers. I've been invited to uh, appear on EWTN television next week. Uh, Father Mitch Pacwa, uh, the EWTN live show, I'll be on um, Wednesday evening, uh, July 27th uh, at uh, 7 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, and I'll be talking about Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen's writings during the war years. So I ask you to pray for me. Uh, Pray that I make it across the border. As many of you know, I live in Canada, and I will be driving down to Alabama, and uh, of course, uh, hopefully dropping by and seeing some good folks along the way. Uh, But, you know, travel is travel, and, um, you know, there's rules and regulations everywhere, it seems, and so uh, I ask you to pray that I get across the border safely and get to EWTN television to uh, record these shows. And so I would ask for your prayers over the next few days as I prepare to leave Canada on Monday and then be there for Wednesday evening for the live taping of EW10 Live. So, again, (laughs) I I beg your prayers. But uh, for now, we will enjoy this reflection, which Fulton Sheen titled, Call to Unity. And uh, after that talk, we will then share um, a reflection that Fulton Sheen gave at a family retreat a number of years ago. And it's a talk that he gave to young people on love and sex. And so uh, we'll enjoy the wit and wisdom of Archbishop Sheen in the second half of our broadcast. And, but for now, I invite you, as I always do, to just sit back and relax and enjoy one of the greatest communicators of our time, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, as he gives this 1944 reflection entitled Call to Unity. Please enjoy. Today, the Catholic Hour presents Monsignor Fulton J. Sheen, Associate Professor of Philosophy at the Catholic University of America, Washington, D.C. Monsignor Sheen speaks to us tonight on the subject, Call to Unity. Monsignor Sheen. Friends, a holy and a peaceful new year under God, I pray for you, one and all. Centuries ago, there rang out over the white chalked hills of Bethlehem the song of angel voices. Peace on earth to men of goodwill. Men of goodwill. Three times recently, we have heard echoes of that song. One echo comes from Tehran the other from the President of the United States, and the third from the Church. 
the Tehran Declaration spoke of the overwhelming masses of the people of the world as men of goodwill. President Roosevelt spoke of them as being the 90%. And the Holy Fathers spoke of them as comprising the great majority. It may appropriately be asked, if men of goodwill are in the overwhelming majority, why does not goodwill prevail? The answer is, power is dissipated through disunion. Now, conscious of the fact that I have the honor to address not only my fellow Catholics, but Protestants and Jews who do me the favor of listening and praying for me, I shall use this series of broadcasts to cultivate a greater unity of men of goodwill. And to that end, the National Council of Catholic Men is now printing a booklet of mine entitled Friends, which seeks to beget more friendly relations between all classes and races and colors and people on the basis of the charity and love of God. If you write for it now, it will be sent to you free just as soon as it is off the press. May each of you, too, spend an hour a day in prayer and adoration that goodwill may prevail, for it can come only from God. In this particular broadcast, I limit myself to one specific point, to giving a reason why men of goodwill should unite, namely because there is a common enemy. This common enemy has three characteristics. It is atheistic, it is alien to our civilization, and it is a repudiation of the Christian tradition. Notice how much it has grown in the last few decades. Twenty-five years ago, for example, atheism was an individual phenomenon. Today, atheism is social. The atheist who once was a curiosity is today a component part of some of the governments of the world. A few decades ago, Christianity's struggles were more in the nature of a civil war. That is to say, religious rivalries and contentions. But they always existed between sects within the great body of Christendom itself. For example, Methodists, Presbyterians, Lutherans and Calvinists, and, in a broader way, Jews, Protestants and Catholics. Today, that simple condition no longer prevails. Christianity is no longer engaged exclusively in a civil war. It is face to face with an invasion, an incursion of totally alien forces who are opposed to all religion and all morality, whether it be Jewish or Christian. Once men quarreled because they wanted God worshipped a certain way, now they quarrel because they do not want God worshipped at all. The wars of religion of the 17th century have thus become wars against religion in the 20th. And finally, we live in an age of revolution. But there is a vast difference between the revolutions of our times and those of the past. None of the previous revolutions in Christian history ever repudiated the moral law. 
Certainly our American Revolution did not. But the three major revolutions of our times, the fascist, the Nazi, and the communist, began by repudiating the Christian tradition and the moral law. For the first time in 1900 years, a revolution attempted to seize not political power nor economic wealth, but the very souls of men. If these revolutions did look to the past, it was not to a living and historical past as a man uses his memory, but to a primitive, prehistoric, barbaric past as a man might trace his ancestry back to the baboon. The fascist revolution, for example, at least in theory and in principle, skipped 1,900 years of Christian tradition in Italy and for the inspiration of its new order went back to the imperialism of Caesar Augustus. The Nazi revolution blotted out 1,400 years of its Christian history and went back to the prehistoric Nordics, to Wotan, and to the forest nymphs of the Nibelungen saga. The communistic revolution repudiated a thousand years of Christianity, which was incidentally so deeply rooted in the Russian soul that the Russian word for peasant and the Russian word for Christian were the same. And this revolution gave the Russian people no other ties with the past than those primitive memories of prehistoric cutting and beating symbolized by a hammer and a sickle. This substitution of emotional atavism for spiritual heritage, this amnesia which made men forget the traditions which made them great, has brought us to a day where we fear tomorrow because we have no yesterdays to light the way and where we all act like dull tragedians not knowing what the future holds because we have forgotten the past. This universal organized attack upon the moral foundation of society creates a problem. What are men of goodwill going to do about it? They must unite. There must be a common front against a common affront. Our Holy Father calls it a common danger. So it is. It is common to Jews to Protestants and to Catholics. It makes no distinction between them. To these evil forces, we are all in the same boat. And so I say, men of goodwill, unite. The crisis today is not religious. It is cultural. The coming of totalitarianism created a new problem, for it divided men not on the basis of their religion, but on the question of whether rights came from God or from the state. The new division which the enemy has forced upon us is God or anti-God. Men of goodwill, Jews and Protestants and Catholics, unite. Unite because the principles which once were taken for granted because beyond legal controversy or human manipulation are today challenged. When Thomas Jefferson, for example, wrote the Declaration of Independence, he stated that it was self-evident that man's rights came to us from God, the Creator. 
when the Catholic hierarchy of the United States paraphrased that statement of Jefferson recently, a backwater press labeled it fascism. The fact is that what was once self-evident to our founding fathers, namely that our rights come to us from God, is not today regarded as self-evident in our country. Hence, unite, men of goodwill. This conflict has moved from the defense of the supernatural to the defense of the human, from the higher levels of Christian doctrine to the lower levels of the natural law. The struggle today does not center around the Trinity or transubstantiation, but around the very minimal moral conditions for preserving even the very vestige of civilization. Imagine a Catholic and a Protestant in a forest arguing about some problem in religion, for example, papal infallibility, and attempting to settle it by muscular Christianity. They are suddenly attacked by a lion. What will they do? Well, they will interrupt their controversy to do battle against the common enemy. In like manner, the forces at work today are animal, demonic, anti-human. And the human must assert itself against the anti-human. Never before in the history of Christian civilization has the cause of God and man, of Christianity and democracy, been as nearly identical as they are at this very hour. At least faintly, men of goodwill have realized that the defeat of God in every instance is the defeat of man. While the anti-moral forces are united, the state is becoming stronger, more centralized, the spiritual forces are becoming weaker and more decentralized. The Jew protests against the persecution of his people, but he ignores the persecution of Christians. The Christians protest against the persecution of their people, but they ignore the persecution of the Jews. It should be elementary to all of us that where basic rights are concerned, men of goodwill should be united. No man has a right to protest against a persecution unless he condemns it irrespective of where he finds it and irrespective of who is persecuted, whether it be a Jew, a Protestant, or a Catholic. Someday I hope to see a parade in New York in which Jews will carry banners protesting against the persecution of Christians. And they will be accompanied by Christians bearing banners protesting against the persecution of Jews. Persecution is not exclusively anti-Semitic. Persecution is not exclusively anti-Christian. Persecution is anti-human. And think not that this plea that I am making now for a unity of men of goodwill between Jews and Protestants and Catholics is born of an admission of weakness on the part of the church or that I think the church is in danger. 
there is no danger for the church. It will last until the consummation of time. For in vain will men look for the death of the undying or the breaking of the rock against which the gates of hell shall not prevail. The church has survived Nero's and Julian's and Domitian's and barbarian invasions. And it will live to sing requiems over Hitler and all of his fellow dictators. No, it is not the sanctuary that is in danger. It is civilization. It is not infallibility that may go down. It is personal rights. It is not the Eucharist that may pass away. It is freedom of conscience. It is not divine justice that may evaporate. It is the courts of human justice. It is not that we fear that God may be driven from his throne. It is rather that we fear that men may lose the meaning of home. It is not that this war may never end. It is that peace may never come. For peace will come only to those who give glory to God. Men of goodwill, unite Jews, Protestants and Catholics. It is not the church that is in danger. It is the world. God love you. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program. Bishop Sheen presents, hosted by Al Smith. Well, my dear friends, I hope you enjoyed that reflection from Archbishop Sheen from the Catholic Hour uh, from 1944. And as I mentioned in my introduction, these uh, reflections were compiled into a book that was published in 1944 called The Seven Pillars of Peace. And uh, it actually is, um, I want to say, one of Sheen's most powerful books because I think everybody is asking that same question. How do we get peace? Um, Yes, sometimes fighting stops because people surrender, but how do you develop a peace plan, a lasting peace plan? And of course, what Fulton Sheen does is that he presents it to the world and prays that they would accept this peace plan. And so this whole uh, talk about the pillar of goodwill uh, was so important. Um, You know, he talked about men of goodwill. And the scriptures uh, speak that same language, uh, that Jews, Catholics, and Protestants are to come together. Uh, They're facing a common enemy, and uh, they need to work together to fight this evil. And he mentioned about how, you know, atheism is uh, very much social these days. It's almost like it's the hip thing to do. I mean, we see it time and time again where people say, I'm an atheist. Um, Now, we know that the um, style of atheism or brand of atheism that we see very much today is a violent one. Um, It is what Fulton Sheen uh, says is that the atheist today believes in God. They just want to attack and destroy God. I remember reading in the book A Declaration of Dependence. Uh, Fulton Sheen uh, recalls in Spain where 
uh, the communists would break into the convents and say to the nuns, where is that bread that you call God? We want to destroy it. And uh, so you can see they believe in God, but they want to destroy God and especially attack his representatives. So uh, atheism is very violent. And, uh, you know, Fulton Sheen talked about the alien forces uh, that have come against us and this whole idea of to repudiate the Christian tradition. They want to um, just, uh, you know, just say, no, uh, that's old school. We don't want that. That is, um, it's, it's not fashionable anymore. We, want, uh, we don't want anyone to worship God at all. And uh, this is the war that we're in, this war of choosing God or not. And um, again, we see, the, we see that played out in the world war that Fulton Sheen is addressing, of course, but we see that today. And so, uh, so many valuable lessons in that talk. And I love how we have uh, on-demand feature here that you can uh, re-listen to uh, this week's broadcast and other broadcast if uh, something went by you too quickly. And so uh, I'm looking forward to um, just sharing these reflections on peace over the next few weeks. And so, uh, again, just uh, I was making notes and, uh, boy, so many beautiful things were uh, coming to light. Uh, my dear friends, we will switch things up a little bit now and, of course, have uh, Fulton Sheen address us uh, from a retreat he gave. And, of course, this reflection is to young people. And he's going to talk about the topic of love and sex. And so, uh, you know, I think you mentioned the word sex and you get everyone's attention. And so uh, nice to hear Archbishop Sheen uh, talk about this. So I'm looking forward to this reflection. So as I say so many times now, just please sit back and relax and enjoy Bishop Sheen as he gives this talk to young people on love and sex. Please enjoy. I might begin by telling you, young people, about the way bishops dress. This is what is known as a choir dress. It is used formally in churches. Then we have another dress, which is really for social purposes, the black cassock and a long, a long scarlet, purple, red, garment called a ferriola that reaches all the way to the knees. I was once giving a lecture in Cleveland, and I arrived just a short time before the lecture, and I had nothing to eat, so I asked the members of the committee if they would go with me to the dining room while I had a glass of milk and some graham crackers. And I was dressed in this black cassock and long ferriola. The waitress in the early flirties, took the orders of the men that were with me, and then she looked at me and she said, Well, Cock Robin, what will you have? <laughs> now, this is not the Cock Robin dress, but let me tell you about this. This is called a rochet. R-O-C-H-E-T, rochet. It is, you see, linen down to the waist and then lace to the knees. I was in the Beverly Wiltshire Hotel in Los Angeles a short time ago, and I went up to my room at night, 
and I found my pajamas on one bed and the rochet on the other. I know, it takes a little time to get that, but you do. (laughs) Now, a word to you young people. It is very hard for you to realize that your parents lived in a day when no bicycle needed to be locked. When doors were left unlocked at night. When anyone could walk the streets of a large city without being mugged or attacked. Those were days of peace. You have never seen them. It probably is hard for you to realize that that's the way America once was. Now, how did this change come about? Why suddenly have we had so much dishonesty? Let me tell you this story about dishonesty. I was in one of the big hotels of this country. The manager told me that he found the cashier stealing money. This woman had a very wide pocket in her skirt, and she would reach in the drawer and take bills and stick them in. And they saw her, and one day they caught her in the act and discharged her. The union said to her, you may not discharge her. If you discharge her, we will call a strike on the hotel and call everyone out of the hotel. The litigation went on for about three months. The union won. They had to take the girl back. Do you know what their argument was? They said to the hotel manager, did you ever tell that girl it was wrong to steal? No, hotel said, no, we never told her it was wrong to steal. Well, then how would she know? See how much the world has changed? Now, what made it change? I think maybe we can pinpoint a date. 8.15 in the morning, the 6th of August, 1945. Can any of you recall what happened on that date? It's history. Before you were born, many of you. Yes, what was it? The witch? The war? No. It was the dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima in Japan. When we flew an American plane over this Japanese city and dropped the atomic bomb on it, we blotted out boundaries. There was no longer a boundary between the civilian and the military, between the helper and the helped, between the wounded and the nurse and the doctor, between the living and the dead. For even the living who escaped 
the bomb were already half dead. So we broke down boundaries and limits. And from that time on, the world has said, we want no one limiting me. So that you people heard the song, you've sung it yourselves, I gotta be me, I gotta be free. You want no restraint, no boundaries, no limits. I have to do what I want to do. Now let's analyze that for a moment. Is that happiness? I gotta be me? I've got to have my own identity? Are any of you on a basketball or football team? You can't be yourself, you've got to live for a team. The coach of the Oakland Raiders, Coach Madden, told me, he said, what's happening to our Catholic schools? He said, I have boys from Catholic colleges coming to my football team and they say, I got to do my thing. How am I ever going to have a football team? Everybody has to do his thing. A team means doing the other person's thing. But we want no limits, no boundaries. There was a French play that was written, well, in your lifetime, by Sartre, in which there are three men in hell. And each of them talks about his pains, his aches, his protests, his worries, his ego, his identity. And the others are not listening. When the curtain goes down, the last line of the play is, my neighbor is hell. Why is the neighbor hell? Because he stands in my way. I can't do what I want to do. God is hell. Parents are hell. Church is hell. Why? Because they limit me. So now we're living in a world of just doing your thing without regard for law. Just suppose now, to get very practical, just suppose your parents never gave you pot training. Think it out. You gotta do your thing. <laughs> Two things would happen. Today, you would hate your parents for never having trained you, and secondly, you would hate yourself. So you are what you are today simply because your parents laid hold of you and said, you're go we're going to train you. They didn't allow you to do your thing. Now, if I've made myself clear up to this point, you're living in an age where freedom is described as license, the right to do whatever you please. But that's chaos. If everyone did what he drove a car as he pleased, we'd have disorder in the streets. 
Certainly you can do whatever you please. You can stuff your Aunt Maisie's mattress with old razor blades. You can turn a machine gun on your neighbor's chickens. Then freedom becomes just a, a physical power. Then the one who is most free is the one who is most strong. So the world has changed. We used to have laws. We had obedience. We had discipline. Today, no boundaries, no limits. And you're not happy that way. Now, there isn't a boy here because you are more interested in games than the girls are. But when you play games, and it's true of the girls in a limited way, you have boundaries, you have limits. You've got foul lines on a basketball court. You play baseball, you've got lines running into the outfield. You play football, limits, boundaries. You couldn't have fun if someone, for example, was picked up the football and ran outside of the field. You say, no, you can't do that. we got limits. Well, why don't you respect it in other things? If that's the way you want it in games, why don't you want it that way in life? Then we're happy. Now, what is the one thing in this free world, thanks to the press and television, that is the major interest of the young? It's sex. So let's talk about it. Today, sex has become almost mental. Every advertisement has to use it so that you are inclined always to think about it. What is it, really? Well, the reason you want to know about it is because it's a mystery. What is a mystery? Well, a mystery is a sacrament. As a matter of fact, the Greek word mysterion is the Latin word sacrament and the English sacramentum and the English word sacrament. Now, what is a sacrament? And then we'll understand sex. Every sacrament or every mystery has two elements. First, physical. Secondly, spiritual. Something that is visible, something that is invisible. Take, for example, baptism. What is the physical side of baptism? Water. What is the invisible side of baptism? The cleansing of the soul to make us children of God. A word is a sacrament because there's something audible and then there's something invisible about it, namely the meaning of the word. Take, for example, a pun. I don't know whether I can think of one at the moment, but oh yes, here's one. A little girl was once asked, what are you going to do when you get as big as your mother? And the little girl said, diet. Now, you see, you laughed at that. Now, why did you laugh at that? If, if for example, a horse heard that joke, the, the horse wouldn't give a horse laugh. Why do you laugh? Because in addition to hearing the sound that a horse would also hear, you got meaning out of it. 
you got purpose. The Eucharist is a sacrament, a mystery. Something you can see, bread. Something invisible, the presence of Christ. Sex is a mystery. There is something physical about it. Everyone is either male or female. It's that simple. Period. Not at all complicated. What is the invisible side of sex? What is the mystery? It's the mystery of love. And it stands for something spiritual. First of all, sex stands for God's creative power given to people. So he gives the creative power to a husband and wife. Instead of directly creating us, he says to a father and mother, I will let you share my creative power and you will give life this is the spiritual side of marriage and of sex but it also stands for something else when you girls and boys get older someday you'll hear come to the altar you'll be married and there will be a reading from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And this is what you will be told. Every bride stands for the church. Every groom stands for Christ. Think of it. God intended that in marriage... The husband stands for Christ. The bride stands for the church. Does that mean that the, that the man is the head of the woman in the sense of domination? No. The man is the head of the woman in the sense of sacrifice. So as Christ gave himself up for his spouse, his bride, which is the church, so the husband sacrifices himself for the wife. Now, that's the spiritual side of marriage and of sex. It therefore refers to love, human love, between husband and wife, the love for God, the love for the church. One of the reasons why it is very difficult for parents ever to teach you the complete mystery of sex is this. They find it very hard. To, they can communicate the physical side. That's nothing. But to communicate to you the mystery, the deep, profound love that is involved, that is something that is almost impossible to describe. The poet said, would that I could utter the thoughts that arise in me when there was love in his heart. And therefore, there will always be a difficulty in the way of explaining to you the mystery. Now, this is what it is. It's God's gift. His creative power. And it's not to be used. 
until God gives the power. Now, for example, where's my Lieutenant Fitzgerald? He's around here someplace. Well, now, Lieutenant Fitzgerald has been with me every day since I've been here. Suppose I took his uniform and put it on. Well, first of all, it wouldn't fit me. But suppose it fit me, fitted me. Well, I would then go out in the street in his uniform and begin directing traffic. I would have no authority to direct traffic, even though I was wearing the uniform. I have to be empowered by civil authority to wear that uniform and direct traffic. And so you have to be empowered to use this mystery. You cannot use the oven by yourself. We're in school, see, that's change of classes. So I'll change my subject now and give you another idea <laughs> to keep you interested. The new idea to which we pass is the difference in which the difference of love in a young man and in a lovely young woman. Now, I hope I can impress you boys and you girls with this difference. It will say particularly you girls. There's a world of difference in which a man loves a woman and a woman loves a man. A world of difference. A boy can love a part of a woman. A woman can love only the whole man. Now that is why, my dear girls, that the boys will talk about your legs. They can love a part of you. They can love a dimple, but then they have to marry a woman. Do you ever talk about boys' legs? Never. You never mention boys' legs. Why? Simply because you're not built that way. Boys different. That's the reason you got to watch the boys. Don't think they love you simply because they love a part of you. But you girls, you're slow to love. And the boys will say, oh, you're cold. You're not cold. You're wise. That's what it is. You can't love until you give yourself totally and completely. So you wait. Therefore, do not rush into marriage. Take your time. Wait and see whether the man is capable of sacrifice or not. And then the man, too, if he spoils you in any way, will not have the same love afterwards as before. There's an interesting story in the scripture, and that is always the place to go for wisdom in understanding human actions. Amnon was in love with a young woman in David's palace, Tamar. And Amnon one day pretended he was sick. And he asked Amnon to bring him some cakes. 
Amnon brought the cakes. And, I mean, uh, Tamar brought the cakes. Then Ammon assaulted Tamar. And then he said to her, Now get out. Then he called the servants. Lock the door. Send her away. And scripture says, The hate with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. In other words, he knew he was guilty. He had spoiled something. He had plucked a young blossom. And he projected the guilt to her as if she herself were guilty. A young girl told me once that a boy had ruined her and on the way back, he gave her a lecture on, you You got to watch out for boys. They're not good. They'll pretend they love you. He was trying to escape his guilt. So now we have learned that there's a world of difference between how a man loves and how a woman loves. And wait until you're wise and you're mature. And incidentally, we have a very long maturity. Did you know it in the United States? I think we have the longest juvenility in the world. The Jews, for example, had about the age of 13. Today, you are a man. Yesterday, you were a boy. Now you're growing. But we have people going back and forth from juvenility to maturity and crossing and recrossing the line. So wait until you mature in judgment. And finally, you will often hear among yourselves, boys and girls talking and saying, I don't believe anymore. I'm an atheist. Or I, I, I just can't believe in God and the like. Do not argue with them. I will give you a rule that will help you very much in life. Never pay very much attention to what people say. Pay attention to why they say it. What are they covering up? I was instructing a stewardess on an international airline. And I got up to the subject of confession and she said, Now I'll never go to confession after hearing this instruction. I refuse to become a Catholic. Well, I said, take one more lesson. And then at the end of that instruction, you may discontinue. Well, at the end of the next instruction, she was in a veritable creed. She shrieked, screamed, let me out of here. Now I'll never be a Catholic. I said, my dear girl, there's no proportion whatever between what you have heard and the way you're acting. Have you had an abortion? She said, yes. She finished instructions. I later witnessed the marriage and baptized a baby. Do not pay attention to what people say. Why do they say it? Why was she attacking confession? It was her way of escaping her inner guilt, blaming it onto the sacrament. And when you hear young people say, I'm atheist and so forth, do not 
argue about their faith. Look into their morals. How are they living? That's the important thing. And hence our blessed Lord said, Blessed are the clean of heart, the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Purity gives us vision. If the window is dirty, the light cannot come in. If our morals are bad, then the faith in the light of God cannot come into us. So keep yourselves clean. Now, you're wonderful young people. And I trust that the Holy Spirit will inspire you to recall some of the things that I've talked to you about today. I've been very frank. And I assume your goodness. And that you'll always be good. And for you girls, may I say that there is such a thing as the apostolate of beauty. The apostolate of beauty. Do not be ashamed to think of that. You're young, attractive, but the mere fact that you're young, you're vivacious. Do you realize that when beauty is virtuous, it's far more appealing than anything else? You recognize that I have power, the good Lord has given me the power of word, but he's given to you this other power. And it's more powerful, really, because, as a wise old Greek said, everyone loves beauty. So practice the apostolate of beauty. And as for you young men, life is hard. It's a struggle. But the Lord will not be failing in his goodness to you. And now with that, I conclude because I don't want to keep you any longer. And I will finish with a story about a priest who was talking on the 12 minor prophets. There are 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. And he had talked for an hour and 45 minutes and had finished only three. He saw the audience was getting a bit tired. And so he introduced the next one with some degree of histrionics. And he said, and now, and now, where shall I place Habakkuk? Someone got up in the back of the hall and said, he can take my seat. <laughs> You're free now. And the Lord love you and bless you and keep you good because you're going to make the church in the next 30 years and we depend on you thank you and god love you are listening to radio maria canada we now continue with the program bishop sheen presents hosted by al smith well my good friends i hope you enjoyed that reflection from Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, as he, uh, I like to say, had the audience um, eating out of the palm of his hand. You could just see how he just carries the day, and it doesn't matter what he's talking about. 
Uh, He's just always bringing us closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think this is what we all love about Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. My dear friends, I would ask for your prayers once again. I'm coming from Canada and driving down to uh, Alabama to uh, EWTN to uh, go on television live on uh, the EWTN live show with Father Mitch Pacwa uh, again Wednesday, July the 27th, uh, 7 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock Eastern. And so um, pray that I arrive safely and that the good Lord will inspire me uh, to share Again, a powerful message, and uh, they have asked me to come down and speak about Archbishop Sheen's writings on war and peace, and uh, my latest book, uh, simply titled War and Peace, an anthology, is available wherever fine books are sold, and so uh, the good folks at Sophia Institute Press have uh, published this book, and of course, um, it is the talk very much of many Um, I want to say newspapers and televisions and again everybody is interested in war and peace because of the unrest in the Ukraine and Russia and of course uh, wars throughout the world so um, it's a very popular topic and it's nice to know that wisdom of Fulton Sheen can be applied today to solve some of these problems. So again, pray for my safety, pray for, uh, again, good travel, and pray that the Holy Spirit will inspire me to say uh, what is right. And so uh, again, I will um, count on you uh, for this. My dear friends, uh, the hour has come to an end, and so I would invite you to bring a friend next week, and we will continue on this journey with the Venerable Archbishop Sheen. And so until next week, may the good Lord continue to bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. God love you. You have been listening to Bishop Sheen Presents, hosted by Al Smith. Here on Radio Maria Canada.